and hold us fast and hold your people fast to you through all the trials of this world. And Lord, as, the, as there's less and less help in this world, thank the Lord that we can, we can rely on you because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, and so we're needing much more of your grace and much more of your power in our lives. In Yeshua's name. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we ask um, your hand to be over me as I speak and as we read your word, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and minds for your honor and for your glory in Yeshua's name. Okay, we'll be looking at Hosea chapter 2 and 3 tonight. Uh, quite interesting chapters. In chapter 2, start at verse 2. Bring charges against your mother, for she is not my wife, nor I her husband. This is God speaking in this symbolism here of, uh, of basically denying his people as his wife. He's no longer their husband. Let her put away her harlotries. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will seek, but not find. She will say, I will return to my first husband, for it was better for me then. That's verse 7. So two to seven, those two verses, then verse eight, she didn't know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. And so here God blessing, pouring out his blessings and yet it not being received, not being accepted and, uh, and then be taken and misused and turned over to Baal. You know, we can do that in some ways uh, God has blessed us with lots of resources. God has blessed us with life and time and, and talents and abilities as well as resources, uh, whether, you know, finances and, and things uh, and blessings of, of uh, the food that we have and the clothes that we have and the homes that we have. And we can be using them while we could be serving God in some ways. There are other ways that we could be serving the devil. You know, we're using the funds that he's put into our hands and, and, and spending them unwisely and spending them on ungodly things, whether movies or books or entertainment that is not godly. We're basically turning them over for, to Baal. That's what he's saying here. I gave all these blessings. I gave them silver and gold and all of these things, good food to eat, and, and they turned it over and prepared them for the Baal God. And again, we can do same the same. As today. Same as today. That's right. And we can easily do that even as believers if we're not wisely using what God has placed in our possessions. Because God owns everything, right? He owns everything. Everything belongs to the Lord. So even the possessions that he's placed in our hands still belong to him. And, uh, and so, you know, even as we return tithe and then offerings to him, then what's left is still his, for, that he lets us manage. We still need to manage it wisely and godly. And, uh, and that goes for, again, any physical things. And, and again, time possessions, talents, all these type of things, used for God and not surrendered over to the devil. I've seen people, uh, godly people, with maybe tremendous voices, you know, but then also use that and, and singing, you know, ungodly songs. So we can have talents and gifts that we don't use for God and that we use for the devil. And, uh, and yeah, so here's, here's an example of that in the scriptures and, and an application for us today. Verse 9. I will take away my grain, my new wine, my wool, my linen, given to cover her nakedness. 
I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will cause all her mirth to cease, her feasts, her new moons, and her Sabbaths. And so here again, he's talking to about a religious people that are observing certain things and going through religiosity and, and religious ceremonies, but their heart is not in the right place. And God has just the ability to give as he does to take away. And he can take away if we're not using him for God, if we're not surrendered to God, if we're not uh, giving our lives and everything that he's given to us in service to him, he can take it all away. That's what it takes to wake us up. He pours out blessings to get our favor, and if that doesn't work, uh, then he, uh, he can take it away to reveal to us our real need. And that nothing that we have, we gained on our own. Everything came from God. Still chapter 2, verse 13. I will punish her for the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with earrings and with jewelry and, and went after her lovers, but she forgot. For me, she forgot, says the Lord. So again, we can take what God has given to us and use it for selfish gain uh, and misuse it and also for propping ourselves up, for pride. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing they, they sell in the store. They got these little cabinets uh, they look like usually desks. They got a, a, a mirror on them. What do they call those things? A vanity. Oh, that's an interesting term. <laughs> so we buy these vanities and we put them and we look at ourselves in our vanities. What vanity, right? Vanity, vanity, right? Selfish and vain, right? And, uh, and so we have our own little ways of, uh, of showing ourselves off in, in, instead of showing God off, right? And that's basically what he's saying that they're doing here. He's blessed them with these things and they're using it just for self-aggrandizement. For pride. Puffing themselves up. Verse 14. And I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards and the valley of Ephor as the, the door of hope. She shall sing as in the days of her youth when she came up out of Egypt. And you will call me my husband no longer call me my master. This is a wonderful prophecy. A wonderful prophecy of hope. So talking about God's people, his bride, who is not calling her husband, not calling his wife, who's doing these harlotries, who's not serving the Lord in trueness of heart, doing some ceremonies, but, but not with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind, with all her strength. So he says, I can take away those things as easily as I blessed her with those things. And then we get to verse 14. He says, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. We see often in the scriptures, it's in the wilderness that God speaks to his people. See that over and over again. He mentions here, he took us out of Egypt. And in the wilderness, he spoke his word. Moses, prior to that, was when Moses was lifted up with self that he was sent into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, he has his experience with God. And not only just in the wilderness, then he's with, with, uh, with, uh, with Jethro, his father-in-law, but then he gets taken up to a mountain, kind of a, more of a wilderness, alone experience, and meets God face to face. Jacob had a wilderness experience where he wrestled with God all alone when the difficulties around him, and it seemed like there was no way out, and where he found God. And Jacob, even prior to that, 
when he left his father's house and he's on his way to Laban it's in the wilderness that he has this vision of the ladder and the stairway through the angels descending and ascending upon the stairway he has this vision of heaven God's love for him his experience with him Abraham taken from the city of Ur and sent out to Canaan the land he did not know has an experience with God see that often in the scriptures John the Immerser in the wilderness finds God Yeshua spends 40 days in the wilderness communing with God Paul goes to Arabia for three years so here he says he'll take her into the wilderness it's in that alone time with God that we find God that he allures us and brings us to himself and speaks comfortable words to us words of hope words of promise so if we felt separated from God if we felt rejected by God if we felt alone and desperate in this world God can speak to our hearts and draw us to him and then he gives her these vineyards and the valley and a door of hope in the desperate situation she's in she's starting to wake up the door of hope is seen and we'll sing as when we came out of Egypt kind of a rebirth experience all things becoming new all over again and so if we lost our first love if we loved God at one time and we're walking down with God and had the joy of the Lord in our life and, and we're telling everybody about it and yet over time it just became routine and mundane he can renew that love experience and bring it all over again so that we can sing just as in the beginning rejoice just as in the beginning and have that first love experience with God all over again and then the key there is that verse 16 and you will no longer call me my or and you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master that God wants to bring us into an experience with him that is not that he, just that he is the Lord God and that we fear him because he is Lord and God and that he is judge and that if we disobey him we will not enter heaven uh, you know if we reject his love we will miss out on the blessings that he have and that's true but he wants to take us beyond a fear experience to a love experience not just a master but more than a master but a loving husband he is our master but he's more than that he wants to be closer than that he wants us to love him and serve him out of love and not just a fearful respect because he is Lord he wants our experience to become more real with him and more close with him. So as you think of your experience with God, has it been more of a master? Well, he's this Lord God up there in heaven somewhere looking down and, uh, you know, right now when I do things good and right now when I do things bad and, and he's this judge, he's going to judge me at the end of time. And again, that's true. But is that the, all the experience is? What do we love him? Knowing that he loves us with an everlasting love. We entered into that union experience with him. A joyful experience with him. And he's not, not called our master, not called our Lord, but called our husband, called our spouse. And a loving spouse. Maybe that's hard for us to picture here on this earth if we haven't had a loving experience. And even if we had, it still wouldn't be as beautiful and as great as, as the experience that God wants to have with us as he is our husband. He wants to draw us close to him, to an intimate 
relation with Him. A love relationship with Him. Beyond anything we can have here. More than just a Lord, more than just a Master. Much deeper experience than that. And then He goes and gives us this experience in verse 17. I will take the names of the balls from her mouth. So He'll set us free, totally free from all the worldly things that we've been chasing. And I'll make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Now here in this country, it's kind of hard for us to really, I think, appreciate that. Because we have locks on our doors and we've got secure shatterproof windows and, you know, and, and, uh, and we're very secure. You know, I don't think very many of us are fearing that some kind of wild beast is going to bust through our window and, and, and catch us in the middle of the night and take us away. You know, but, uh, but in, in, in that setting, it certainly was possible. Farmer out there, a shepherd out there in the field, and some wolves come to get the sheep, and they might as well take the shepherd with them as well. You know, the shepherd goes to try and protect the sheep. to get these wild beasts and poisonous snakes, and, and there were lions and bears in Israel at that time. So real threats and wars, swords and battle. I mean, any time, at any time, they could come and, and take their, their land as much as the world is experiencing today. But you know, here in America right now, we're still pretty safe. We don't have these kind of fears on a daily basis that anyone could come in and take us away. But here he gives his promise that he's going to make a covenant with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, the snakes, the bugs, the scorpions, and all those and we won't, we'll be able to lie down in the grass and not have to fear anything crawling in our pajamas in the middle of the night. Nothing to fear. We don't have to fear that some marauders, thieves are going to come. We don't have to fear kidnappers are going to come. We don't have to fear uh, bandits and warriors are going to come and try and take our land. He's giving a promise of heaven here. A wonderful promise of heaven where we'll, the lion and the lamb will Lay down together. Where the child will be able to play with the poisonous snake and it won't harm him. Beautiful picture that we have. We'll be able to lie down in safety. Right? The Psalm 23. Take us into green pastures. To the valley of the shadow of death. And not fear any evil. Be able to lie down in safety and in peace as we enter into this experience with God as our master and husband, spouse, loving, intimate God. Then, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19, says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will marry you forever. I will bring you unto myself forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice in loving kindness and mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. These three promises in our weddings we have the, the, uh, the bride circling the groom saying these three promises I'll betroth you to me forever. 
God will marry us forever. He will be our God. He will be our spouse forever. In righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and mercy. And here we see that law and grace, right? Righteousness, we think of right. Got to do it right, but in loving kindness. Justice, just and right, true, and mercy. So justice and mercy, right and loving kindness. Blended together, matched together. Not one side or the other. Not just a hard taskmaster who demands it to be done right and has to be right in perfection. And just, and if not just, then, then be judged. We're not just a lovey-dovey, mercy, loving kindness, and, and, and all things are good with our eyes closed and blind to la-la-la-la, I don't want to hear any, you know, that anything was done wrong. No, but the balance of both. The beauty of both. That God can be just and merciful. That he can be righteous and yet loving and kind. And he's the beauty of both. And he promises to marry us in that type of a setting. Not a blind setting, not a harsh setting, not a cruel controlling setting, not a wimpy setting, but a balance of the beauty of righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and mercy. And he will betroth you to me, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. He will be faithful to his promise. That we will be his forever. Lie down in peace forever. Rebellion will not rise its head ever again in this universe. There never will be another Satan. There never will be a rebellion again. There never will be calamity again. There never will be a planet Earth as we know it now with death and sorrow and crime and heartache and loss forever. We will lie down and say, forever he will be our loving God. Forever he will reign in righteousness. And he will have us by his side. And we shall know the Lord. Like Adam knew Eve. And she bore him a son. We shall know the Lord. He will be our husband. Be so close. Communion together. We shall know the Lord in loving kindness. We shall see him face to face. And we'll know him better than we could ever know him here. And we'll know him more and more out throughout eternity. His love will abound more and more to us. And I will have mercy on her who have not obtained mercy. We don't deserve his mercy. We can't earn his mercy. Yet he will have mercy on us. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. And we saw this analogy, the same thing written in chapter 1 last week. The prophecy of the, of, the, of the Gentiles coming in and being united together. We're seeing this prophecy being fulfilled right here in Bethel Shalom. We're seeing it being fulfilled right now in, in Shalom Adventure. We're seeing this, this coming together. God calling his people together as one. And then to chapter 3, all that we just read in chapter 2, God now lets us see it 
in this experience of the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer, who was mentioned in chapter 1. The Lord said, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. I brought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. Okay, so God says, told uh, Hosea, go marry Gomer, this harlot. He goes and does it, has at least three kids with her. Names them no mercy and you're not my people and Israel where Israel is going to be slain and And so now in chapter 3, obviously somewhere between chapter 1 and chapter 3, she goes and plays the harlot again. And so God says, go love her again. Just like we just read in chapter 2. He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I married you. I brought you into the land. I blessed you with all these things. He didn't appreciate it. He went to other lovers. Everything I gave to you, you gave to the Baals. But then I'm going to buy you back. You no longer call me master, but husband. And so now he tells Hosea to do the very thing that he said he's going to do. He says, Hosea, I want you to demonstrate with your experience with Gomer, my experience with my people. And so Hosea does that, which I'm sure was not easy. And he goes back to this lady and he finds her in some brothel somewhere, finds her in some harlotry, in some alley somewhere, and I bought her for myself. Well, he already, he already married to her. They already have a marriage license together. But he has to go and buy her. Maybe she's already you know, sold herself out to some pimp or something like that. And he's got to buy her back. And so he bought her. I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. That's the price for a slave. He buys her as a slave. And looking forward. No longer call me master. He becomes her master. Originally as her husband, she leaves, has to buy her back, now as a slave, and he is her master. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. So as a slave, he's not going to have relations with her either. You're not going to have any man. You're not going to go play the parlor. And I will be that way to you too. For a while, bunch as a slave. You're just going to kind of detox here for a while. And you know, we're going to have this kind of a relationship. That I'm your master. You have to do what I say. I bought you. You're now my slave. You can't leave the house. You can't do anything. You have to stay here. And I'm going to be your master. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Children of Israel, many days without a king. Without a king. Well, we've had 2,000 years without a king. Without a prince. Without a prince of peace. Without a sar shalom. Without a messiah. Without a sacrifice, we haven't had a temple, we haven't had a sacrificial system. 
We haven't had a Messiah to be our sacrifice for 2,000 years. Nor with any sacred pillar, nor with the effort the priest would wear. So with neither, neither a sacred pillar, neither bales, nor a king, prince, messiah. Many days, and that's, this was prophesied, Hosea prophesied it long, what, close to 3,000 years ago. And yet we see it fulfilled in these last 2,000 years. Children of Israel shall abide. God's still protecting over, God's hand still over, but like a master. <clears throat> ruling over, mastering over, with a lot of do's and don'ts. Ruling over as a master. Not an intimate relationship with a Messiah, sacrifice, love. And in verse 5, but afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the last days, or the latter days. Amazing prophecy, wonderful prophecy. So we would go many days without a king, and that's happened. But in the latter days, we will, we will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David the king. Well, who's David the king? David's been dead. Not physical David, right? It's a messianic prophecy. We will seek the Messiah, the son of David. And find him. And shall fear the Lord's master, fear, but also his goodness. More than just fearing as a master, but and his, and his goodness as well. As master and as husband. Shall seek the Lord and find him as the Messiah. A loving Messiah who gave himself for us. Who takes away our sins. Who is our sacrifice. Who is our prince. Who is God's prince. Who is our, our, our king. Who gives us guidance. Who directs our paths. Leads us in the way everlasting. Who came down to this earth to get close to us and to buy us back, just as Hosea had to buy Gomer back. He came to this earth and bought us with his life and redeemed us so that we are his, rightfully his. And yet he wants more than just us to be his by purchase. He wants us to be his through love and choice as well. And so in the latter days, and that's what's happening. We're seeing that happening. Jewish people awakening to the Messiah. In numbers that we haven't seen in 2,000 years. And a powerful sign that we are in the last days. And God is doing it. So he's bringing the children of Israel to seek the Lord their God and David their king and at the same time calling those who are not my people to be my people. And so united together and again we're seeing that happening right here in God's work in God's work that's going on around the world in these last days. And then in chapter 2 he said the next thing that happens after that was that he makes a covenant with the beasts of the air and the field and and, uh, and, it will lie, and there'll be no more war, and we'll lie down safely. Now, Hosea wasn't able to duplicate that one, but 
That's the next thing. And that's where we're at. So let's look at some of these comparisons between Hosea and God. Hosea marries Gomer. God is betrothed to us. Hosea is a faithful husband, and God is a faithful husband. Hosea's love is unrequited. God's love is unrequited. The relationship disintegrates between Hosea and Gomer. She leaves him for a while. The relationship with God has disintegrated. She served other gods, rejected him at times. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Gomer pursues other men, and we have pursued other gods. We've all, like sheep, have gone astray. Gomer was indifferent to Hosea's feelings, and we have been indifferent to God's feelings. Yet God wants us to enter into his feelings, to know how he feels. That's what he has Hosea do, so that Hosea could feel and know what it felt like to be rejected, to be married to a harlot. God wants us to know how he feels. God has feelings when we reject him, when we reject his love, when we say no to what he's called us to do, when we say no and resist what he has for us, the blessings he has for us, when we don't have faith, when we don't believe, when we fear, when we have worry, when we're not trusting in him, it hurts him. When we look to other means and to ourselves to solve our own problems, it hurts him. And then Hosea redeems by buying and restores the adulterous Gomer. And God redeems and restores the unfaithful nation. He restores us to himself. He has redeemed us and he has bought us and he has brought us unto himself. And he will do so forever. And he will do so in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in mercy. And he, we will be his in faithfulness. And we will know the Lord. Wonderful promises that God has given to us. We got these last two uh, slides from uh, from a Bible, right? Was it a, which one? Thompson Bible? Which one was it? A Nelson Bible. Nice one. Well, very beautiful. Very beautiful comparison. That's what God was wanting us to see. That's why he has Hosea do this horrible thing. Marry this lady is horrible, no doubt, heartbreak all the way. The kids, poor kids going through that. So that we can see the love of God. God demonstrates his love for us. He wants to paint us pictures. That's why he had to build the sanctuary. That's why the Messiah came, so we could see the love of God. Demonstrated in this earth. And so if we're feeling alone, feeling like God is a distant God, not a close husband. We've lost that first love. We've been wandering in the wilderness. He wants to pull us back to himself. He wants to allure us back to himself. He's blessed us with goodness and, and we've not been using it for him. We've been surrendering to bales. Maybe not all the time, but some of the time. Or maybe the blessings have been taken away and we're feeling destitute. He's trying to get our attention and draw us to himself. Or maybe we have been serving, but maybe our service has not been one of goodness. Maybe our service has been one of only fear. Maybe our service has not been one of a loving God, but one of a, a master, Lord. And we're just serving him because we know we need to. 
Because what's best for us? He wants to enter into a loving relationship where we serve him because we love him. We serve him because we want to please him. We serve him because he first loved us. We're not at that experience if our experience is just a master, fear, relationship with God. As we pray tonight, ask him to be very close. Ask him to draw, draw you to his side. If you don't intimately know him, if it's just some distant thing you read about in a book, he wants us to know him, to experience him, for us to lean upon him and rely upon him, to trust in him. He don't sense his arms around you when you're going through struggles and difficulties. Then he's just a faraway master. But he wants to be a husband who will comfort us, and hold us when we're hurting, when we're sad, when we're going through difficult times. One that hugs us and embraces us when we're joyful and experiencing goodness. God is not that close in your life. So we pray, ask Him to remove whatever barriers are in our mind. It's not Him. He's wanting to be close to us. There's something in us that's holding Him back. Holding Him at a distance. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe there's some sin in our life. Maybe there's some area where we're serving the bales and turning it over to bales. Or maybe there's some area where we're committing some spiritual adultery. Maybe we're not being faithful. Allow God to convict us and show us Lord, what is keeping me from knowing you. Is the way it's described here. As a loving, merciful, just, righteous, good God. Spouse keeping me from having an intimate relationship with you. Being able to talk with him about everything and anything at any time. And running to him first. Again, with our joys or our sorrows. That's not our experience. We can have that experience tonight. Or if we did at one time have that first experience rejoicing and singing as we came out of Egypt, but we've lost it become mundane, plateaued. Let's ask God to renew that first love experience again. Let's let him take us on a honeymoon again with him. So if any of these areas apply to you or maybe something else that God is speaking to you through this story today, we hold on to the hope and the promise of the beautiful heaven that he's promised there. We can rejoice in God's fulfillment of these prophecies that are being fulfilled right before our eyes. We pray together. Let us surrender to God and enter into deep, close union with Him. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, Lord, we thank you for your love. And we're thankful, Lord, for your goodness. We're thankful, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting loving kindness. We're thankful that you haven't given up on us, you haven't given up on this world, you haven't given up on the people of this world. Thankful that you haven't given up on Israel, you haven't given up with those that are not, have not been your people. We're thankful, Lord, that you're able to draw us all onto yourself. So, Lord, draw us to you. Draw us in your power, in allurement, in loving kindness. And work your will in us and through us. In Yeshua's holy name.